Today on the Topping Show, Bud Light Union approves strike. Vivek on voting integrity goes viral. U.S. Steel sold to Nippon Steel for after being in business for 122 years. Apple halts watch sales after losing a patent case. And Quaker Oats recall is now up to 90 products. All of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Guys, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December. So, if you could click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have U.S. Steel sold to Japan's Nippon Steel for $14.9 billion, which is quite a pretty penny. Or, in this case, since modern pennies are 99.99% zinc, therefore useless and trash, we should say a pretty vintage penny from 1944, a very rare occurrence where the U.S. actually used steel to make pennies, which is a very rarity, fun currency fact, not so much as a business fact, but... It's the only type of U.S. currency that is attracted to a magnet, is the vintage wheat penny from, I believe, 1944, when there's a copper shortage because we used it for the war, and we had more steel to use. So, fun fact, if you ever find a little wheat penny, might be worth keeping. Now, again, this is still subject to regulators, but so, again, it might take a couple months to close in terms of the actual official sale going through. But again, this is fascinating because U.S. Steel, they've been around for quite some time, and they had multiple offers throughout the past calendar year, and they've turned down every single one of them. So it's even more surprising that they actually did accept a final offer. Now, it looks like the deal comes from after they've had offers from Cleveland Clills, or sorry, Cleveland Cliffs, Arcelor Mattel, and Nucor, all of them making offers to buy U.S. Steel earlier this calendar year. Now, the deal price comes in at $55 per share, and even more astonishing, that means they're paying a premium 142% to the August 11th, the last trading day before U.S. Cleveland unveiled a $35 per uh, share cash and stock bid for U.S. Steel. It is still a bet that the U.S. Steel will benefit from spending and tax incentives under the current infrastructure bill. Now, it looks like Cleveland Cliff's pursuit to prompt prompted U.S. Steel to launch a sale process four months ago. In a meeting of his board directors on Sunday, U.S. Steel deemed Nippon's offer superior to Cleveland Cliffs, which had raised the bid to the high of $40 per share range, people familiar with the matter said. Nucor, the largest U.S. Steel maker, offered to acquire U.S. Steel in a partnership with another company, another source said, but did not go through. It looks like ArcelorMittal also pursued U.S. Steel, according to Reuters. Nippon and Argo Mattel owned a plant in Alabama that produces steel sheets by processing semi-finished products or slabs procured from local and overseas suppliers. They're also investing about $1 billion in an electric arc furnace. Now, the acquisition of U.S. Steel will help Nippon, the world's fourth largest U.S. or sorry, fourth largest steel maker, move forward 100 million metric tons of global crude steel capacity, which significantly expands production in the United States where steel prices are expected to rise as automakers ramp up production following their recent deals with labor unions to end the strikes. Although, let's be honest, how much steel is really left in a car these days as they seem to be made more and more disposable? 
Can't help but notice, you know, the cars back in the 70s, 80s with their giant metal monstrosities, they're pretty darn near bulletproof. As opposed to, you know, in that 70s show, they could actually sit on the hood of the vehicle and not damage it. Unfortunately, if you try to do that with a 2001 Honda Accord, you will actually dent the hood. And you get an awkward conversation with your parents explaining that cars are not made that way anymore. That may or may not have happened to me. Now, looks like Nippon is paying the equivalent of 7.3 times the U.S. Steel's 12-month earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation and amortization, also known as EBITDA, which is insane. 7.3 times? That's almost akin to a tech company in terms of the valuation. Now, it looks like the median in the steelmaking industry is seven times. Some analysts say that U.S. Steel is worth less given that it its $744 million takeover of the big steel river mill in Arkansas in 2021 has yet to pay off in profitability. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, it looks like some of the unions are opposed to it because they're worried that the overseas owner might kick down the curb and you know actually make the companies more profitable and perhaps get rid of some of those ineptitudes. And I still can't, it's still astonishing that such an old legacy company is no longer with us. Well, they're now foreign owned. Although I guess it shouldn't be too surprising as more and more businesses are bought up by foreign entities. U.S. Steel was actually founded in 1901 with some by some of the largest business magnates, including Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and Charles Schwab, and became intertwined in the United States industrial, industrial recovery following the Great Depression and after World War II. So perhaps the biggest acquisition in steel history. It'll be interesting to see. Is there more and more consolidation? <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry, some cough going around. But nevertheless, perseverance is key. Power through. And it'll be interesting to see, is there more consolidation of the industry? Or it's one of those things where, I don't know if you really see that many startups because the initial investment to start a steel company is so overwhelming. We just noted a couple of minutes ago how one of these new steel furnaces or electromagnetic furnaces is a billion dollars. I mean, there's a huge upfront investment. So I suspect we'll probably see more market consolidation throughout the years. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Apple halting watch sales after losing a patent case, which is ridiculous. For how much money Apple has, they probably just should just, might not just buy the company out that's arguing with them. But nevertheless, let's dive into this Fortune article by Mark Grumman, and they know that Apple will stop selling its latest smartwatches after losing a patent case to rival that say that says, quote, even the world's most powerful company must abide by the law, unquote. Now they say, specifically they'll stop selling the latest version of a smartwatch in the U.S. due to a patent dispute, take taking some of their best-selling devices off before the busy holiday season, which, again, I'm one of those things, I'm one of those folks where, kind of like a suit, buy one good suit, it'll last a lifetime. Just like watch, well, in this case, I actually got this for free from a friend, which makes the ROI even better. And it's lasted well, probably about 10 years by now. It keeps clicking away, although it's electric. So I guess it really doesn't click, but nevertheless, I'm one of those folks who like to buy something and get a little, lo good long-term value. And most Apple products are kind of disposable, but nevertheless, now they say that, let me see here real quick. Sales of the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2 will be halted on the company's online stores on December 21st and its physical retail locations beginning on Christmas Eve. This according to a statement from Apple. They also know that it is preparing for a looming ban of the Apple Watch models with the specifically the blood oxygen sensor, a feature first added to the lineup in 2020. 
And a company by the name of Massimo Corporation say that they, they are claiming the ones that they actually invented the technology and they have the patent for it. Now, the International Trade Commission ruled in October that Apple violated Massimo's patents and would need to halt the sales of the infringing devices. The patents related to how, how the watches calculate a person's blood oxygen saturation. They know that a presidential review of that order is, take, is now underway. Quote, while the review period will, will not end until December 25th, Apple is pre... How does a Fortune article have a, a spelling error? But nevertheless, preemptively taking care of steps to comply with the ruling stand, unquote. Let's see here. Sigmosmo is a based in Irvine, California, sells a range of health monitoring technologies. And let's see here. The ITC, and this is from the ITC, so quote, the ITC found that the Apple stole Massimo's patent pulse eczematry technology, which measures the blood oxygen, unquote. Quote, the ITC undertook a thorough legal process and its expert judgment in this matter should be respected, protecting intellectual property rights and maintaining the public trust in the United States patent system, unquote. Now, this is even more astonishing. Granted, this is probably the whole product category, not just what Apple gets. Now, the series, they say that the Series 9 and Ultra 2 watch generate a vast majority of Apple's watch sales. The company doesn't say how much revenue the product line brings in, but it's a poor, core part of its wearables, home, and accessories businesses, which generate more than $90 billion, or sorry, $40 billion per year. According to analyst estimates, the Apple Watch alone makes made them about $17 billion in fiscal 2023, which ended in September. Which, geez louise, how many people are buying Apple Watches? Apparently quite a few. $17 billion in one year of Apple Watches. I can't fathom spending so much money on a moderately disposable piece of technology. Jeez Louise, that is a pretty penny. Now it'll be interesting to see again why did Apple just buy out this company considering Apple is one of the most profitable companies on the planet. Now even more interesting, I'm surprised there isn't some way to use software to just disable that particular feature or if the patent is, they don't really go into the nuances, if it is a patent also on the physical little doodads they have inside the watch that allows Apple to have that capability. But yeah, definitely not great news for Apple investors that one of the most profitable and most important products that they have is actually going to be off the shelves starting calendar Q1. So it'll be interesting to see how this affects Apple. And at the end of the day, do they just sell out a core? Do they just say, okay, fine, we'll pay a licensing deal where you get X amount of dollars per unit sold. Because at the end of the day, they want to move units. The only question is, does this other company, but does Mosmo, would they rather get paid a royalty? Do they have their heart set on just selling their own branded product? But as I always say, time shall tell. Now going over to the cultures part of the podcast, you have a Bud Light Union approving a strike. Now this comes to us thanks to the New York Post, someone, an individual writer by the name of Lisa Fickenschreiber. And she this... Goes on to say, quote, Teamsters Union approved strike against Anheuser-Busch months after the Dill Mulvaney controversy. Again, that was the, perhaps the business blunder of the century in which they had their brainchild, Alyssa Hirschild, say, you know what? We're going to give Dill Mulvaney a trans activist, although even the trans community, this person is very much of a hot topic or debate since this individual never got the surgery that some of them claim is necessary for the transition. So even within that particular community, it was already a controversial individual. And Anheuser-Busch thought, Let's give this person $185,000, which is, I can't fathom, such a vast amount of money. 
for two to three pictures to promote our product. And subsequently, they had destroyed their brand. They lost about 30% of their sales week over week, losing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales, as well as losing billions of dollars in stock valuation, as well as the even more harder to quantify was the damage done to the actual brand. Needless to say, it was the business blunder of the century, and boycotts have ensued ever since. Now, it looks like the union represents about 5,000 workers at about a dozen U.S. breweries, said the Dutch conglomerate Anheuser-Busch InBev, and they they claim that Anheuser-Busch InBev has been, quote-unquote, dragging their feet on its negotiations about job security issues, unquote, since the new contract broke down last month, this is according to Team Service leaders. The union, of course, oh, this is hilarious, the union, asks, they're asking for higher wages, job, health, retirement benefits. Of course, they want to give us the transparency of telling us the actual fiscal impact behind that. A union being dishonest, who would have thought? Or being opaque and not transparent. Oh, yeah, we, we all kind of saw that coming. Now, it's hilarious that they're making all these outlandish demands, but this is the worst time in company history for Anderson Bush in Bev. Part, oh, I was not actually part, is because of their business ineptitudes that they're suffering these loss of sales, which are so bad that you have actually have bottling plants closing down because the demand for Bud Light has just precipitously, again, gone down by 30% by sales and about 26% by volume. So it's having a huge impact, not just directly on the business, but also their suppliers. There's a, you know, a lot, the ripple effect is, or domino effect is huge in this case. And at the time when the business is suffering the worst, the unions want the most, which is one of those ridiculously ironic and or perhaps just a good metaphor for unions in general. You saw this with the big three with automotive communities. At the time when they're trying to transition their companies to technological companies instead of being automotive companies, which I don't think they'll beat Tesla, that's their goal. But when the time they have to make huge sacrifices, they're cutting staff in the corporate offices at General Motors, at Ford, Chrysler, Stellantis, the unions want record, pro they want record, record amount of benefits. They actually wanted some of the same benefits that helped contribute to the bankruptcies of those companies back in 2009, in which General Motors, as well as Stellantis, at the time Chrysler, went bankrupt. And Ford nearly went bankrupt in 2009. Granted, it's not a single variable analysis in terms of, that wasn't the only reason they went bankrupt, but it was a contributing factor. And yet the unions are saying, oh yeah, you're in the most, you know, hardest time in automotive history where you need to make all these investments, when you need to reinvent your business. Well, we're, we want more money to do less work. So they want to work a lot less, get paid a lot more. Now, it looks like, when I ask for a comment, the director of the Teamsters Brewery, Jeff Paladario, interesting, he says, quote, Anders Bush can't kick this can down the road much longer, unquote. Well, gets a good day. Yeah, like, I'll give him a, a, you know, kudos for the pun of saying kick the can since, you know, Budweiser, Bud Light, all they come in cans. So I don't know if he's going for a pun, but I do appreciate that. Now, hilariously enough, I would say, yes, they absolutely can. Just keep kicking that can down the road. Now, because, again, this is the worst. It's almost hilarious. Who do you root for in this case? Because a lot of people are boycotting Bud Light because of their business ineptitudes and alienating some of their customers. I don't know. The devil is in the details, but who who do you support? <laughs> now, they also note that, quote, the two side did reach a, quote, tentative agreement that ended tiered health care and restore retiree health benefits, unquote. This according to a statement from the labor union. Now, it looks like the jobs covered under the contract, which ends in February, includes workers who, quote, Brew, package, and ship beer, unquote. Now they go on, this is the Teamsters General President, Sean O'Brien. He says, quote, Teamsters stand firm in our fight for the best contract with Anheuser-Busch and this powerful strike vote.
proves it, unquote. Which, not really, you're getting paid to do nothing? I mean, it's not surprising when unions go on strike. Famously, the big three, when they went on strike, the United Auto Workers paid them, I believe, like $500 a week just to stand with a picket sign, which, geez Louise, I've, learned, I've worked a lot harder and got paid a lot less throughout my career. I can't imagine getting paid $500 just to sit around and hold a sign. Or in some cases, not even hold a sign, just sit. Jeez Louise. Now, Mr. O'Brien goes on to say, quote, Our members' labor, talent, and sacrifice are what put Anheuser Bush products on the shelf. <laughs> and we are committed to getting a contract that rewards and recognizes their hard work, unquote. Which, I was going to say, if you're really extraordinarily talented, you probably wouldn't be part of a union. You want to negotiate individually because your value is more worth more than the other guy who puts in the bare minimum. But that's not what unions are about. They're about getting maximum pay for everyone, regardless of performance. And again, I can't help but, note, can't but think this will be a job that will be outsourced to third-party fulfillment, or eventually, of course, robots. Granted, that'll create new jobs. So you'll have to fix the robots, and you know, that'll create an industry in and of itself. But a lot of these, I don't know, a lot of these jobs, I mean, they're a lot of distributor. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, O'Brien continues to say, quote, if Anderson Bush executives can't get their act together to negotiate an agreement that respects workers, we will see them on the streets, unquote. Which, okay, just hire Band-Aids. Some pejoratively call them scabs, but I think Band-Aids is a better metaphor for what they provide value to the company. Now, the union had also criticized Anderson Bush's decision for $1 billion in stock buybacks, quote, to wealthy investors as it simultaneously ignores the need to protect good jobs, unquote. Which again, I don't know why union leaders, well, I can, I probably suspect they know they're, they know it's BS, but they just say it because it riles up their base. Maybe some of the politicians, well, they're one of the same since unions contribute heavily towards politicians and most union leaders are just glorified divorce attorneys where their job is to create conflict between the business and the employees so you pretend they add some modicum of value when instead they just make things less productive and increase the cost. And also, you could also argue decrease the quality since the most unreliable cars in the United States are all coincidentally, I'm sure, manufactured by union labor. Interesting. Can't but notice my Honda Civic Si with a stick shift, which I love obviously because it's a stick shift as all cars should be by default, is infinitely more reliable than similar cars manufactured in the same year by different manufacturers that are unionized. Coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> no, probably not. Now, again, stock buybacks is very strategic and it's a smart thing to do. Again, in this case, I'm pessimistic about the Anheuser-Busch InBev stock. But again, if you're the business and you think your stock is undervalued, presumably you're buying it at a discount. It's a good investment. It also increases the value of your stock. It assures shareholders not to sell the stock because they're signaling, hey, our, we think our stock is so good, we're going to buy it at a discount. And yet, uneducated politicians, or let's be honest, probably just corrupt politicians who know better, they all say, oh yeah, it's so bad they're doing stock buybacks. There are a myriad of reasons why it's beneficial. Also, you want to use the emotional rhetoric, which politicians and unions are so morally vacuous to do. Instead of using logic, they just use emotional rhetoric, which I understand is very compelling. So, okay, let's use that right now. Well, grandma who has her savings invested in this business. Well, they just bought back their own stock, signaling that they think the stock is at a discount. They think it's going to be worth more in the future. That actually helps the stock price goes up. So now because the stock price goes up, they're going to pay out a little bit more dividends perhaps, which again, that helps grandma with her savings. 
So again, if you want to go down to the rudimentary emotional argument, it's not too hard to do. And in fact, maybe that's why they do it. Now, they continue to say that, quote, Anheuser-Busch is aware of the Teamsters strike authorization vote, which is common during labor negotiations. We are committed to negotiating in good faith <laughs> with the union to reach that recognize that agreement that recognizes and rewards the talent commitment and drive of their employees. Yeah. Again, you had this company where they're the best selling beer for literally two decades with Bud Light specifically for that label and that brand. Now they're again, 30, 30% of the sales are gone. And culturally speaking, Bud Light has become a butt of most jokes. You don't see anyone seriously purchasing the product. It's an embarrassment. It's, it's even worse than Schlitz beer. Now Schlitz beer, they destroyed the reputation because they changed the formula. And because that formula changed, the quality went down dramatically. And of course they did it to cut cost. That beer has never recovered. It's, I believe, still around, but it's a shadow of what it used to be. And I suspect Bud Light will be the same thing. Although interestingly enough, the piss poor taste has been consistent for you know two decades. Granted, I think it's really just popular because it's the cheapest beer in many cases. And again, they're asking for all these demands. And interestingly enough, so here. So Anderson Bush, and again, a good metaphor for unions, the parent company, the national, the business, they made sacrifices and they made, they made cuts, but the union did not. So earlier this year, we actually reported on the show that Anderson Bush and Bev cut about 400 jobs, about 2% of their U.S. staff in July. Because again, their sales are dramatically dropping and they need to cut costs because they're not as profitable anymore as much revenue is coming in. So they made sacrifices on the corporate side, yet not a single job was cut for their warehouses, drivers, or staff. So again, there's one side consistently making sacrifices while the other does not. So it'll be interesting to see. And thankfully, interestingly enough, it looks like we do have some fun comments here on the New York Post, which makes it infinitely more entertaining. One of the most popular ones comes from Ernest Lemingway, which, fun pun, perhaps it's a lemming instead of Hemingway. Yeah. It makes you think about animal and typewriter, but nevertheless, Ernest Lemingway says, quote, Trainheiser can't win and I can't stop laughing at them. They try and gaslight critics by saying it was one can when it was really an entire campaign that fell apart immediately. They're burning money with failing campaign ad campaigns and buying out Dana White and Kid Rock. And now this, unquote, that got 14, no, 15 likes. Other top comment comes from Ed Simeon. He says, quote, I wonder how much Anheuser Bush investors have lost since the share price dwindled, unquote. Got eight likes. Now, interestingly enough, it has come up a little bit, partially because Bill Gates purchased a bunch of it a couple of weeks ago. That helped us quite a bit. Renata Berger says, quote, All St. Louis regretted selling to InBev, I remember. It was mainly talk like, quote, They won't know what Americans like and don't like, unquote. Hello, pervert man on a can, unquote. That got 12 likes. Someone by the name of Weeble Wobbler says, quote, is Dylan going to be on the picket line, unquote? That got two likes. Let's see here. Glenn Guy says, quote, offer the union free Bud Light every paycheck, unquote. That got one like. Someone responded to him by the name of Peter Jacobson saying, quote, they've already been doing that, unquote, getting three likes, which is pretty common with most alcohol and beverage industries. I remember... One of my friends actually used to work for Anheuser-Busch or Anheuser-Busch before they were bought out by InBev way back in the day. And he said like every paycheck you get your own case of beer. 
I believe the same thing with the, I forget the, uh, Brown Foreman, who's one of the large conglomerates that owns many spirit space companies, including Jack Daniels, I believe, as well as, I forget who owns, uh, not Drager, but there's, another, there's a couple of parent companies that own many of the spirits companies that people think are individual brands, but they really aren't anymore. Rocky Brown come in and he says, quote, Teamsters are the kind of people who drink Bud and Bud Light. Whatever gave the InBev idiots the idea that people like the Teamsters would welcome a pervert man Mulvaney, unquote. And that got one like. So it'll be interesting to see. And again, well, perhaps hilariously enough, this won't even hurt the business that much. If they go on strike, again, they're moving a lot less products these days. It'll be interesting to see, depending on how big the strike is. I mean, how much would we really tell? Would it really make any difference in our day-to-day -day lives? I can't help but notice when I go to the big box mart, the sales of inventory for Bud Light are pretty consistent. You, I even take a Sharpie, and I'll admit to being a rebel without a cause, do a little graffiti. I put a dot on one of the Bud Light cases with the Sharpie, and I'll, you know, I'll do my bi-weekly groceries shopping, and I'll see that same case still there. It hasn't moved, which in retail, if something hasn't moved in two weeks, that's almost an eternity. That's terrible for retail. That's, I mean, especially for big box marts and grocery stores, it's all about volume. They make, on average, maybe 2% of gross profit. That's the industry average for a grocery store. The only way they make money, very similar to McDonald's, is massive, just volume, just more, push, pushing products, more and more. And that product is sitting there for weeks? That is ridiculously bad, to say the least. So it'll be fascinating to see, from a culture perspective, again, the Bud Light boycott is still going strong, even though they're buying out celebrities. People are still, they're just not returning back to the product. The sales are still about 30% lower every fiscal week compared to the same fiscal weeks last calendar year, or last fiscal year, rather, which is nearly the case. I believe Anna's version of is actually offset, fiscally speaking. <laughs> Excuse me. So it'll be interesting to see, but there's, I can't but think, let me know in the comments, there's not a lot of leverage in this particular case with the unions because, again, the they're not shipping as much products as they used to. There's not as much demand as there used to be. So it'll be interesting to see as the competition continues to eat up Bud Light's market share, is there anything they could possibly do to turn things around? And does this union strike really affect it in any way? It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek on voting integrity rights going viral. Now, this is from the Turning Point Action Convention. And, <laughs> excuse me, Vivek says, quote, actually, he might actually just say the same exact thing as he typed out. So without further ado, I'll just play the quick clip. And it's got right under a million views, 991,000. Actually, it's very, to even get more granular, it got 991,300 views and 32,000 likes. This is one of the most liked tweets he's had for, I'd say, in the past couple of months. Without further ado. What does it mean to be American? It means we have elections we can trust and believe in. Single day voting on election day as a national holiday with paper ballots, government issued ID to match the voter file, and English as the sole language that appears on a ballot in this country. That is not controversial. That is common sense. That is what it means to be a citizen of this nation. 
pretty good and concise clip from the convention. And it is fascinating how inept some public entities are in the United States where it takes days, weeks, or months to count ballots. Really? It's an ineptitude almost unique to the United States in that regard. Now, he also brings up a couple other good points. You have to have a government, you know, government ID, depending on where you are. You know, that you may or may not be asked. Now, in terms of making an election day a national holiday, I think that would that be that would solve a lot of people's concerns. One of the biggest pushbacks that has eroded voter integrity in the United States or faith in the system is being able to vote for weeks or months before an election. Which that's just ridiculous. Months before? Even a couple of weeks, I'm still skeptical because a lot of things can change and a lot of stories can be broken out. Having a singular day where, again, you make it a holiday. Bizarre. We have holidays for so much junk in the United States. Why not have one, a holiday for something that makes sense? If you actually made it a holiday so you don't have the excuse that people have to work. I mean, I think there are ways you can do that. Granted, there's still be some, you know, inf- some to, some businesses will still have to remain open, obviously, for societies for function. But even then, you'd have shifts that start at different times of the day. It would be, it's not inconceivable to make that happen. And with the current things that we have in place, I think a lot of people just lost a lot of faith in the system. Especially when you see videos of people doing ballot stuffing, you have ballot harvesting, which ballot harvesting is legal in many states. Maybe we'd say it's also morally vacuous and, you know, cheating. But just like, I, I think Republicans may, may finally wake up. I mean, it's no guarantee since I swear they almost seem to like losing, hence why the NFA is still in place and why suppressors are so difficult to actually purchase in the United States. It almost takes nine months because of the paperwork and their ineptitudes. But as well as this is where you got to play by the rules of the game. So maybe Republicans actually do that so they actually win for once. It is long overdue. But, I mean, so much faith has been eroded. Let me know in the comments. I mean, what of these five things would you think would have the biggest positive impact on the perceived and real integrity of voting in the United States. Again, those five things are single-day voting, make Election Day a national holiday, paper ballots, government-issued voter ID matched to the identification on file, English as the only language used on ballots, and voting booths. Those are the top five things that Vivek is saying that would restore election integrity and faith in it. So, again, it'll be interesting to see which one of those are the most popular. And it got, again, it's got a lot of likes. 32,000 people like this. And 991,300,000 people viewed this specific clip. And this comes, again, from his personal Twitter profile. Or, again, as more and more people are starting to call it, on his X profile. Now, diving into the comments, we go down. One of the top ones comes from Paul Seispol. says, quote, No drop boxes or mail-in voting. You need to say that explicitly. The rest, the rest of your list sounds good to me, unquote. I got 1,000 likes. Someone by the name of Greg Marchland, MD, says, quote, What you are suggesting would end the Democratic Party in literally one day. The Green Party literally ha- have a bigger presence in the U.S. government, unquote. 454 likes, despite grammar and ineptitudes. Now, going down, you have someone by the name of Crocs Out says, quote, been saying this for years. The reason it's not done is that successful cheating cannot take place if those rules are put in place. That's why it's not being done. Unquote. And that got 201 likes. America Memed says, quote, I agree with all of the above. Only thing the left will not agree with this as it removes so many illegal votes from their hands. They will call it racist, fascist, and even transphobic. It's what they do. Unquote. That got 171 likes.
as I continue to scroll down here. Rudolph Trofa says, quote, solves all of our election problems. Mail voting should only be allowed by Americans overseas and those who truly bedridden with severe illnesses that prevents one from going to the polls and no fear of COVID doesn't account, unquote. I got 162 likes. Suhar Majesty says, quote, this is the way, and it's simply a sticker saying, I won't say the actual F word, but it says F Joe Biden as American fact. I got 265 likes is one of the most popular responses thus far. Right Angle News Network, which A plus for marketing, their logo is actually of a right angle for mathematics class. And, or I guess that's more geometry, but nevertheless, it is actually a picture of a right angle with their logo. So that's that's pretty good. I appreciate that. So the Right Angle News Network says, quote, we also need to lock down our southern borders so Democrats can't use those illegals coming through it as voters in the 2024 election. That should be our number one worry. Follow us if you agree, unquote. I got 351 likes. And Keish says, quote, I understand your perspective, but I believe that ensuring equal access to voting should be prioritized over implementing restrictions such as language requirements and restrict restrictive ID laws, unquote. I got 43 likes, which, again, there's nothing restrictive about an ID. That's one of the dumbest, most mentally vacuous arguments I've ever heard is implying that certain groups of people are not capable of getting an ID. Guess what? My, my family's from Cuba. We got IDs. Just like everything else in life, if you need to purchase alcohol, pharmaceuticals, ammo, like <laughs> guns, you just, I mean, just to rent a, a library book, you need an ID. And again, granted, it is a pain because the government runs the ID process, so it's usually inept. Anyone can go there and get an ID. It's one of the most ridiculous arguments I've heard in my lifetime. And they keep driving it home, implying some people don't have the capacity to do that, which I find insulting and ridiculous, to say the least. Now, uh, let's see here. Brian Dunn says, quote, We've had mail-in voting for Arizona for 20-plus years. 80% of Arizona voters avail themselves of this convenience no chance it'll get repealed here elections are managed by the states not the federal government unquote i got 34 likes which cause does bring a good question or an interesting question how and vivek is usually pretty articulate on the specifics on how he would achieve some of the results he's looking to go for if it is because again the voting laws are by state by state basis how would he or is it even possible for me federal government perspective to have those mandates in place, those rules or stipulations? Or would it be more of a cultural shift we would need in the United States in order to have people vote for those things in those states, which again, would give it a disadvantage to people who want to cheat the system. So again, as one of the other comments brought up, it's it's one of those things where kind of like, what was, everyone always says we should have term limits in commerce, which yeah, I agree. But the people who are voting for that are the people who are, they would actually actually be kneecapped by that kind of like insider trading too yeah they should probably be banned from that since they control the economy in many ways but none of them ever vote for it because it would hurt them directly so same same kind of concept here someone by the name of fallen says quote only thing i disagree about is single day voting early voting should still be allowed unquote getting 10 likes which again is crazy thing that some of these places you can vote weeks or months ahead of an election especially when we live in an information age when you have a breaking story in the final hour that changes the whole election well 
or you have that and then the tech community suppresses it, which happened in 2020, but nevertheless, I partially digress. A lot of people getting between five and 10 likes, saying that they agree with the vague, they think it's good ideas. Let's see here. Ray says, quote, until then, do everything Democrats are doing to win, unquote, getting seven likes. Mr. Billy says, quote, very true. Vivek is on fire. I said it must go until now he has delivered. He's a very smart man, unquote, getting 11 likes. Henry Reynolds said, quote, I would add requiring a thumbprint in order to vote, unquote, getting seven likes as well. Which, yeah, I was going to say. Let's see. Adam Santos says, quote, waiting for you so long, unquote, getting six likes. Joshua Robinson says, quote, yes, this is a very important issue for trust, unquote, getting five likes. So it looks like, again, there are a couple contrarian statements, a couple people going against Vivek's original post. But it looks like, it looks like overall overwhelming support for Vivek. Again, we'll see how this helps him in the polls as he continues to, he's gone down the past couple weeks. Let me pull up the 535, the poll aggregator, which comes from projects.538.com. And they have one for the Republican primary as well as a bunch of other polls. And again, those poll aggregators, Trump continues to go up. Trump's at 62.7%. DeSantis is down. Whew, he's down to 12%. Shooting, shooting himself in the high-heeled boots indeed. Again, I'm not a speaking therapist or a doctor. However... If you click the subscribe button, it may assist with my stuttering and help with my enunciation and slowing down my speech. It may assist with my speaking ineptitudes. Again, it's not guaranteed. There are very few guarantees in life. However, if you click the subscribe button, it may very well might be the cure. I'm just saying, can't hurt to try. All I'm saying. Now, again, DeSantis is down to 12%. He started in the high 30s this, earlier this year and just keeps going lower and lower and lower, which highlights the importance of having a good campaign staff or having anyone with a mockum of intelligence in your marketing department. Nikki Haley has slowly increased, although past week she's actually down a percentage point, currently at 10.9% in the poll aggregator. Vivek went up a little bit. He's back up to 4.1%. A couple days ago, he was around 3.8% in the poll aggregators. Chris Christie, dear, Chris Christie broke 3%. I, I didn't see that coming. Chris Christie's at 3.1%. Now, maybe he got some of the votes from Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson is now down to 0.6%. But that is surprising. Chris Christie is actually expanding his voter base, though not at a rate consistent with his, you know, belt line. Nothing can keep up with that. Some might say that no one can keep up with that expansion. But I would never say that type of a joke, of course. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see. Again, Vivek is doing a lot of PR. He's doing a lot of great social media stuff. You're seeing the traction. Most responses in the comments are positive. But... Again, we're not seeing it translate to the polls yet, so it'll be interesting to see you know, what does it take from Vivek. If it rhymes, it always sounds cooler. A little ADHD there, but what is it going to take for him to actually go up in the polls? Again, these polls, their sample sizes are between about 500 and 3,000 registered voters. So again, they're not the largest sample sizes, but this is the current data that we currently have. And this is a poll aggregator, so it's an average of all these polls that we're getting. So it'll be interesting to see, I mean, what does it take for him to go up in these polls? But as I say, the election is still a little ways away. So there's still time for him to shake things up a little bit and try to get those numbers up.
Now going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Quaker Oats recall is actually increased now up to 90 products, up from 40. Now this comes to us thanks to today.com, specifically their author by the name of Lindsay Lowe. They know that certain Quaker Oats granola bars and cereals are being recalled due to the risk of contamination with potential deadly bacteria, salmonella. This is according to the US Food and Drug Administration. Now we covered this topic yesterday. At that time, we were only specified about 40 specific products that may have been that are being recalled because of the incident. Now it looks like it's up to 90. So it's specifically 90 different items that range from the granola bars to the cereals to the snack boxes. You know, all the all the candy. Well, as I say, legally I think there's a modicum of wheat or something thrown in there. But look into the nutrition facts. Glorified candy bars. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure they're an enjoyable treat from time to time. But let's just say I haven't had a granola or a chewy bar since I was a kid. They were popular back in the day. And I, of course, admittedly enough, I was that weird kid who actually liked the, what is it, the raisin oat run? No, the uh, oatmeal raisin one. That was the old chewy bar that I actually appreciated. And later in life, I looked at the nutrition facts. I'm like, oh, dear God, it's basically a candy bar. But nevertheless, as a child, it was a fun little treat. Now, it looks like they're, it says also expanded geographically. So now the entire country, including all 50 states, Puerto Rico, as well as Guam, Saipan, as well, and... They're all being recalled. So this recall is multi-country-wide, actually, now. Oh, I should say. Now, I mean, the good news is that, again, the company says, quote, has still not received any confirmed reports of the illness related to the products recovered by this recall. Unquote. This is directly from a statement from Quaker Oats themselves. So, again, the silver lining is that, again, they're way ahead of the game in terms of, you know, no one's hurt yet. Now, in terms of the actual product breakdowns, we're not going to name all 90, but we'll name the top ones. You got the Quaker Big Chewy Bars, Quaker Chewy Bars of various flavors, Quaker Chewy Dips, which, for the record, is not a chewing tobacco byproduct, as it might so ins- it might imply. It's actually like a little dip of the material. Same product, but different delivery method. method. Instead of being a bar, it's more of a little nugget. So, not a tobacco product, for the record. They also have Quaker Puffed Granola Cereal, Quaker Simply Granola Cereal, then a bunch of their snack boxes, including including Quaker Tree Bars, Quaker Chocolate Flavored Snack Mix, Quaker On The Go Snack Mix, and Frito-Lay's snacks, including Variety Pack with Quaker Chewy. Now, the company also said in its release that no other Quaker products are affected. I can't but think there's maybe 12 other items. I mean, that's a big part of their company portfolio. But... They also say, you know, everyone, if you have this in your pantry, throw it away. Do not consume. Which I can't imagine how much time you have in your hands. However, if you actually want to research this to double check, they noted that to determine if you have purchased an effective product, enter your product information to the Quaker Granola Recall website. The, the company said that the people can also, who have also received an effective product can call Quaker Consumer Relations at 1-800-492-9322 or visit the recall website for additional information or reimbursement. Which again, is good PR to let people know, hey, here's a way to get your money back for this product, but the take rate on that has to be sub 3%. I mean, when you look at the dollar amount of how much those things cost, how much your time is worth to call, like on average calling a help, you know, the 1-800 lines is a hell of an experience in and of itself, but to get on hold for hours, you have to ask yourself, what is your time really worth and how many people actually dial in and actually go through the work to actually 
receive the actual compensation or the reimbursement for the recall product. I mean, I can't help but think it's, again, sub 3%. But again, to have this recall now affecting even more products, up to 90 of your products, I gotta say, that is certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you again, everyone, for taking the time to tune in today. Again, I'm trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December. So if you can click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, leaving a comment is a great way to give me some additional feedback and let me know how I can improve the show. Letting me know I need to enunciate my words more, slow down my speech pace. Those are things I am actively working on. I appreciate you pointing them out so I know it's a continuing thing I need to improve on. Also, and lastly, don't forget to take time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.